0: Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 630 for release on Sunday, March 21st, 2021. On WaveScan today, the Kermadec earthquake. Australian shortwave call sign VLU and our Bangladesh DX Report. In our program today, we interrupt our regular flow of topics here in WaveScan in order to present instead a topic on the radio scene in the Kermadec Islands that recently underwent a quick series of massive earthquakes. One of which was measured at 8.1 on the Richter scale. According to the United States Geological Survey, the most intense earthquake in modern times was measured at 9.5. Your now is Ray Robinson at KVOH with more on this story.
1: Thanks Jeff. On Friday March the 5th, the strongest of three major earthquakes in the Khamadik area was centred underwater near the island chain which is located in the South Pacific, halfway between New Zealand and Fiji. The first two earthquakes in this series were measured at 7.3 and 7.4, and the third and largest at 8.1 struck the same area just before 8.30am on the Friday morning. Initially, a warning of possible tsunamis was issued for many Pacific countries, though these were later cancelled due to the fact that all three of the closely timed major earthquakes were deep underwater. The Kermatic Islands were shaken, but with very little damage. On the exposed areas of the North Island of New Zealand, seaside citizens fled to higher ground, though the arrival of a small tsunami caused virtually no damage there either. According to the United States Geological Survey, the world's most intense earthquake, measured at 9.5, struck the Pacific coast of Chile in South America in 1960. In a comment from Professor Jennifer Eccles, and I kid you not about her name, do you think her parents were fans of the Hollies? In a comment from Professor Jennifer Eccles at the University of Auckland in New Zealand, she stated that the 8.1 event near the Kermatic Islands was just about, quote, as big as it gets, unquote. There are four major islands in the Kermatic group, together with half a dozen islets and exposed rocks, all of which form a lengthy arc of volcanic underwater mountains. In 2012, an underwater volcanic eruption produced a new small island in the comatics, now identified as Havre, together with a large raft of floating pumice stone that caught the attention of scientists around the world. The largest and only inhabited island in the commandics is the irregularly shaped Raoul Island, which measures five miles by four miles. However, the only people on this island these days are a small cluster of official personnel, anywhere up to a dozen or so, who are engaged in nature conservation together with weather and radio officers. In ancient times, the Comadic Islands were settled on occasionally by Polynesian peoples and at times by a few scattered Europeans. During World War I, a German raider ship, the Wolf, used Raoul Island as a temporary base for repair and overhaul. Politically, these empty islands form an integral part of New Zealand. In May 1937, A party of survey personnel aboard the New Zealand government ship Maui Pomari visited Raoul Island for the purpose of establishing what they called an air radio station for aviation and navigation across the Pacific. The property of a loner, Mr Alfred Bacon, was confiscated for the new radio station, though with due compensation, and Bacon himself returned to New Zealand on the same ship, the Maui Pomari. A low powered Morse code station was installed on Raoul Island and it was first noted in the United States around August 1938. The call sign was ZME and the shortwave operating channel at that time was at the top end of the 40 metre amateur band. This new communication station was sometimes referred to under the call sign ZME and sometimes as ZMEF, both of which we would presume were accurate. We'd suggest that ZME was the basic licence callsign for the station and that ZMEF indicated the particular shortwave channel in regular usage, which incidentally became 9520 kHz. Station ZME was taken into regular service during the early part of the following year, 1939, and many DX reports in New Zealand, Australia and the United States indicate that the station was indeed on the air. However, many of those monitoring reports in various radio magazines back in the middle of the last century were copycat reports from other contemporary radio magazines. Station ZMEF sent weather reports and local information four times daily back to New Zealand, generally to station ZLD in Auckland. Originally, this station on an isolated and lonely island was also intended to form part of the radio communication network across the Pacific for the new Pan American Airways, Pan Am, but World War II ended that project. A contemporary monitoring report in the NZDXRA magazine TuneIn back then indicated that ZME changed from Morse code operation to voice communication early in the year 1940. During the Pacific War, this station also served with the New Zealand version of the Coast Watch service. The main operating channel back then was 500 kHz. Station ZME is still in regular communication service to this day. Several of the meteorological and radio personnel stationed on Raoul Islands have themselves been amateur radio operators in addition there have been a few amateur radio de expeditions to raoul island such as zl1abz in 1958 zl8ri in 1996 and zl8r in 2006 jeff
0: thank you ray during the past 100 years or more the australian shortwave call sign vlu has been in use at six different radio locations in four different countries in the South Pacific. Our story regarding callsign VLU begins with a ship that sailed, or more accurately steamed, under the flag of New Zealand. Here again is Ray.
1: The good ship Atua was a small refrigerated cargo ship with passenger accommodation that was built by the Dunlop Company in Glasgow, Scotland in 1906. The new owners were the Union Steamship Company of New Zealand, and the ship was taken into inter-island service for cargo and passenger conveyance in the South Pacific. The Morse Code wireless callsign VLU was accorded to the Atua in the era before World War I, and it was in use for a period of more than 10 years. In 1924, the ship Atua was laid up, and two years later again it was sold and renamed the Rashid. The callsign VLU was applied next to a small AWA communication station that was installed at Lai on the northwest coast of the island of New Guinea in 1933. This callsign VLU gave way to a subsequent Australian administered callsign VHX in 1937. Back then, Laye was the gateway to the inland goldfield areas and it was Guinea Airways that needed the aviation radio station for company communications. The famous American aviatrix Amelia Earhart flew out from Laie over the Pacific in 1937, never to be seen again. From New Zealand and New Guinea we cross over now to Australia – where the Donald McKay Expedition set out by plane to explore the vast desert areas in the centre of the continent in that same year, 1937. The Stirling Radio Company in Sydney was set up by the well-known amateur radio operator Donald Knock, VK2NO, who designed and constructed a special radio transmitter and receiver for the expeditionary party. The Stirling radio station was licensed for communication and broadcast transmissions under the callsign VLU, and it was permitted to make amateur contacts under Don Knox's South Australian callsign VK5NO. This radio apparatus contained seven valves or tubes, and it radiated 30 watts in Morse code and 10 watts in voice. This historic radio equipment was refurbished 70 years later, and it was displayed to the public at the Central Coast Field Day in Wyong on February 18, 2007. In April of the following year, 2008, the radio was donated to the Powerhouse Museum in Sydney, where it's now on permanent display. During the war years in the middle of the last century, the VLU sign was in use by the large AWA shortwave station at Pennant Hills near Sydney in Australia. The Pennant Hills radio station contained half a dozen shortwave transmitters, several of which were rated at 10 kilowatts, quite high power for those days. When Pennant Hills was in communication with New Guinea, the register call sign was VLU, regardless of which transmitter was in use. Station VLU Sydney was heard in Australia, New Zealand and the United States under several subsidiary call signs during the years running from 1941 to 1944 including for example VLU2 on 13340 kHz VLU3 on 9330 kHz and VLU4 on 17830 kHz The base call sign, VLU, was registered for use on 16350 kHz. Now we go out west of Australia to Christmas Island in the Indian Ocean. This island is noted for its spectacular annual migration of red crabs, numbering several million, and they move in massive waves from the mountainside to the ocean. In 1965, the telecommunication engineer at the communication station VLU on Christmas Island, Don Reed, began the part-time usage of their electronic equipment for the broadcast of radio programming. Two years later, a broadcast officer was appointed, and the informal station was officially opened as a radio broadcasting station on September 1, 1967, under the appropriate callsign VLU-2. The medium-wave broadcasting station VLU-2 on 1420 kHz was notoriously impossible to hear at any of the land locations in Asia that face the open Indian Ocean towards Christmas Island. However, station VLU-2 does provide a good strong signal every evening around sunset along the coast of Western Australia. These days, the station call sign is 6ABCRN, with 500 watts on 14.22 kHz. Our final occasion for the usage of the Australian shortwave core sign VLU occurred at the Darwin relay station of Radio Australia during the years 1996 and 1997. At the time, their so-called temporary relay station at Carnarvon in Western Australia was under closure. The intent was to remove the 300 kilowatt Thomson shortwave transmitter VLK at Carnarvon and reinstall it in the Darwin shortwave station under the callsign VLU. And during that two-year time period, the Radio Australia operational schedules listed the VLK and VLU transmitter at Darwin as, quote, to be installed, unquote. And yes, it was on location, but it was never taken into service. On the next occasion, when we investigate the Australian shortwave call signs, we'll move sequentially down the English alphabet to call sign VLV. Back to you, Jeff.
0: Thank you, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. An item from Dave Zanto of Janesville, Wisconsin. He says the WWVB broadcast system is being upgraded with new equipment to improve the reliability of the signal. In order to install this equipment, beginning March 9th, the WWVB signal was operated on a single antenna at approximately 30 kilowatts of radiated power for periods up to several days in duration and with occasional outages. Upgrades are expected to be complete by March 31st of 2021. And if you're not familiar with WWVB, it's the 60 kilohertz signal that comes from the same installation as WWV in Fort Collins, Colorado. And they have uh, two transmitters of 50 kilowatts each, uh, putting out 70 kilowatts of ERP. This is the time signal that is used on atomic clocks and atomic watches. So hopefully they'll be back in regular operation by April 1st. In recent weeks here on WaveScan, we've been talking with Jerry Plummer of WWCR in Tennessee about the HFCC A21 shortwave frequency conference. In our last installment, we were talking about a very important new document that the HFCC will soon be publishing about the importance of shortwave for international broadcasting. I mentioned that the penetration of internet in South America was not that great.
2: You've told me before, you've traveled quite a bit in South America, and you've said that, generally speaking, uh, a shortwave radio is the the most dominant thing that you'll use there to pick up uh, uh, information, generally speaking.
0: Yeah, per- particularly in areas like uh, the Andes Mountains, you know, and, and then the Amazon, out in the middle of nowhere, you know, almost, very rural areas. Uh, in, in the report here, it talks about Internet uh, the, being becoming more and more available, but, as we said before, 47% of the world's population does not have access to it. 80% do not have access in the least developed countries.
2: Oh, yeah. And, and the LDCs only, what, 19% have access. Uh-huh, right. And, and, and that's going to stay for a while, Jeff, because, you know, you hear all this stuff about 5G, but one of the problems with 5G is you have to have the towers uh very close to each other uh, in order for 5G to effectively transmit, and in LDC you have trouble getting one tower. Period. Yeah. Much right. less 5x That's right. the number of uh, of towers. So uh, it might be that shortwave has going is going to still for foreseeable future be the only means to uh, to reach much of that area.
0: That's right, uh, uh, and the report uh, mentions other. Um, Problems with the internet, such as the fact that it can be easily censored or controlled, access can be limited and and unavailable due to infrastructure problems or political problems. They can just cut it off, you know.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: And and we've seen that recently in several countries, India, in uh, parts of Africa, when there's an election and so on, they they just cut off the internet, you know.
2: Well, to that, that, in that sense, if you really look at it, it happens here in America, too, because. Uh, Without becoming politically involved, uh, uh, several uh, groups in America have been shut off of the Internet.
0: Yeah, a very current topic here, yes. And and the Internet cannot preserve the uh, anonymity of the user because that's a problem in a lot of countries where they don't want to be seen uh, as listening to certain stations. And uh, if, if they're on the Internet, uh, they can be seen, <laughs> and they can figure oh, out yeah, who they you, are. Oh, yeah, you can be tracked by the IP address, yeah. That's right. Uh, another problem is uh, Internet access in many areas is only available at Internet cafes or libraries. So they don't right, necessarily right. have it at home.
2: Uh, one of the first times I think you and I met was at Tunis in 2009 or 2011 or something, uh-huh. uh, maybe 2009. But at any rate... There were uh, many Internet cafes right around where we were staying, and that was because it was inaccessible. And, you know, still in Malaysia, we saw uh, quite a few uh, that were there last year when you and I were in in, uh, KL.
0: And at some of these places, uh, whether it's in an Internet cafe or in your own house, in many places the Internet may be available, but the speeds may not be enough to be able to listen to audio streams from broadcasters. That's right.
2: And forget about video, because there's not (laughs) a bandwidth for video. That's right. Uh, But in many places, uh, well, you know, it's it's hard to believe, but uh, I teach, uh, uh, for example, in a smaller town, uh, about 100,000 people north of Nashville, and within 10 miles of where I teach, there are quite a few pockets where the only uh, internet available is dial-up, even today. Uh, <laughs> so even in America, they can't listen to my uh, audio streams because there's not enough connection. Yeah. and if it's that, if that's true in America, <laughs> you know it's really true in some of these areas.
0: besides the internet, uh, the the document uh, from the HSCC uh, mentions problems with FM also. Uh, of course, mm-hmm. FM is mostly for local coverage, so they don't reach vast areas. There, there are are a lot of these international broadcasters that are renting time on local FM stations in different yeah. cities around the world, but that can be limited because uh, of changes in laws and, and political situations. A lot of times, they get cut yeah, off. No doubt. Uh, and,
2: and correct me if I'm wrong, but FM is more of a straight line, I believe, isn't it? That if uh, that's right. If, Run into a hill or mountains mm-hmm. that, that blocks the signal, I believe.
0: Yeah, yeah, very, very limited coverage compared to shortwave. Then you have satellite, but satellite broadcasting is, is mainly for television. Very few people ever listen to radio on the satellite. Have you ever done that? Really? I've never listened to it on satellite ever. <laughs> I I once had uh, a satellite dish that picked up a uh, HISPA sat, it has a number of international uh, stations on it, but I always watch the video. I never listen to the radio stations that right, there. Right, right, uh, And it's kind of
2: expensive, too, isn't it? It is,
0: it is expensive, and, of course, it's not portable. <laughs> oh, that's
2: true. That's, well, yeah, I that's
0: true. Yeah. Satellite dish and receiver. So, so that's some problems with satellite. That was Jerry Plummer of WWCR speaking with us about the HFCC A21 Shortwave Conference. We'll continue that discussion on Future Wave Scans. Right now, let's go to Bangladesh. Here's Salahuddin Dalar with his
3: DX report for this month. Dear listeners and radio hobbyists, welcome you in the March 2021 edition of Bangladesh DX report on UBSCAN. This is Salahuddin Dollar from the beautiful city Ratshahi, Bangladesh. Glad to be back and thanks for listening. The receiving log of different radio stations. 3rd March 2021. Voice of Vietnam, French language service was heard at 1635 UTC on 7220 kHz. The SIO code was 343. BBC Bangla report on noise pollution in Bangladesh was heard at 1640 UTC on 7265 kHz. The SIO code was 433. Radio Free Europe, Bhaya Udontai Tajik program. Report on COVID was heard at 1645 UTC on 7475 kHz. The code was 333. 3, 3. Voice of America Tibetan Bhaya Tin, Tinan was heard at 1650 UTC on 7525 kHz. The code was 333. 3, 3. All India Radio Jaipur Uriya Program Closing Announcement was heard at 1700 UTC on 5040 kHz, the SIO code was 333. 4th March, Vatican Radio, while talking in Russian, was heard at 1632 UTC on 6185 kHz, the SIO code was 333. 5th March, Voice of Turkey, Urdu service playing beautiful song, was heard at 1343 UTC on 15390 kHz. The SAI code was 444. Adventist World Radio Asia Thai program mentioning address and frequency was heard at 1350 UTC on 15550 kHz. The SAI code was 444. Radio Free Asia Tibetan service via Dushanbi News and report was heard at 1,355 UTC on 15745 kHz, the SIO code was 443. Adventist World Radio via Mountsburn Urdu program with ID and opening announcement was heard at 1,400 UTC on 12025 kHz, the SIO code was 444. Radio Free Asia, Burmese program was heard at 1414 UTC on 11795 kHz. The ESI code was 444. All India Radio, Pashtu Service, Bhaya Bengaluru, Indian Songs was heard at 1421 UTC on 11560 kHz. The ESI code was 343. KBS World Radio, English Service, Korean Pop Music program was heard at 1451 utc on 9630 kilohertz the SIO code was 444 radio tehran bangla service opening announcement was heard at 1428 utc on 9440 kilohertz the SIO code was 444 radio taiwan international thai language program was heard at 1425 utc on 9415 kilohertz. The SI code was 444. 4 4. Thanks, Mr. Pradeep Chandra Kundu and Mr. Anand Mohan Bain from India for sharing their logs with us. If you have any comments and suggestion and if you want to get our eQSL, please send your comments and reception report to the following email address dxbangla at the rate gmail.com. LA DX Bangla at the rate gmail.com. Okay, I will come with more DX news and logs in the Ned next edition. Till then, take care. salaudin Dollar, Ratshahi Bangladesh.
0: And before we end today, just a quick reception report I want to mention from Case swagman in nordvek in Holland, who heard wave scan on 7290 kilohertz relayed by IRRS. Reception was quite good, he said. Sinpo, 44433 to 44444. Case says, I've been listening in the past, uh, in the period 1980 to 2010. I have several confirmations of reception from AWR. The last one was in 2000. Recently, I started listening again. Now I'm retired and have time available once again. Thank you. Case Swagman in Nordvig, Holland. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. We leave you with music from American composer VJ Iyer. This is from a CD produced for the United Nations by Artists United Against Human Trafficking. This program was researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week on WaveScan, Moon Bounce Radio Part 2. North Australian DX report. Several QSL cards are available for the program. Send your AWR and KSDA reception reports for scan, to the AWR address in Bangkok, Thailand, and also to the station your radio is tuned to, WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa, or, or to IWRs Italy, or to the AWR relay stations that carry scan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air. Here in the program, they will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. The email address for AWR QSLs is qsl at awr.org. The postal address for AWR QSLs is Adventist World Radio. P.O. Box 234 Prakanong, that's P R A K A N O N G, Bangkok 10110, Thailand. Again, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234 Prakanong, Bangkok 10110, Thailand. And the email address for other correspondence to Wavescan besides reception reports, is wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White, WRMI shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida, USA. Till next week, good listening, everyone.